All right, let's open our Bibles this morning to Matthew's Gospel, uh, the 24th chapter. This is, uh, we've been taking our time going through uh, Matthew 24 and 25. Because of its significance, there's a lot here, and uh, this is my first pass through the, the book of Matthew, and so I, I just want to give it all I've got. And, um, and I think especially in the days that we live in, this, these two chapters... Um, help us to kind of frame what is written here that Jesus told us about in advance. And I think it also brings some comfort to our hearts to know that while all this is going on uh, that we're going to be reading today, we're not going to be here for it. Can I get an amen? (laughs) Um, And people say, well, you Christians are just, you know, escapists. You know, you want to escape the world. And I'm like, yeah. I mean, it is true. It is true that I want to escape, but... I want to escape because the Bible tells us that's what he's going to do. He's not appointed his church to wrath, but to obtain salvation. So we won't see the wrath of God because the wrath of God was already taken out on his son. God the Father poured out all the wrath for our sin on his son. And we are in Christ, so there's no need to go beating up his bride. So God is not going to pour out his wrath on the church. But he will upon a world that has rejected him and that has shunned his offer of forgiveness and eternal life. And, and that's a decision that people make. God doesn't want to do that. The Bible says that um, it's not his will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, right? That, that's a scripture. And so these things are important. And God's character, his heart is for people. He loves people. And so we're going to be looking at these two chapters, and we're in the, uh, really the second week proper into it. And we're going to be looking really, uh, finishing up in uh, Uh, probably just the uh, 28th verse, Lord willing, this morning, uh, because as we looked at last week, we saw that the uh, Matthew 24 has an order to it. It has a form, if you will, and I believe it's very clear, and we spent some time on that last week, but let's just go ahead and, um, David, if you could bring that down just a little bit. If we could start in, uh, let's open up to Matthew 24, and let's just read through the first 28 verses, just to kind of give us where we're at here. So notice, Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him to show him the buildings of the temple, and Jesus said, do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no man deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not troubled for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then they shall deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. And then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. 
Therefore, you might want to underline that word. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there shall be great tribulation, such has not been since the beginning of the world until this time. No, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. Therefore, if they say to you, look, he is in the desert, do not go out, or look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. Father, we thank you again for this passage and pray that you'd encourage us in it, Lord, and bring understanding to it, even greater meaning to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, if you remember, we looked at the first seven verses and we looked at the two questions that the disciples asked in verse 3. And I believe there are really two questions in verse 3 and not three. And I believe that based on two things. Number one, the grammar in the original language for this passage is different than what you see. The definite article is not there, which really, um, for those of you who are concerned about those things, it, it really makes the, the two, three questions really become two questions. And I believe that because of the disciples' understanding of Zechariah 14. They believed that when... There would, when Jerusalem would be destroyed, they believe, based on Zechariah chapter 14, and I would encourage you to read it, we'll look at a little bit of it today, and we looked at it some last week, but the, they believe that when all the nations came against Jerusalem, that the Savior, the, the Messiah, came and rescued them, destroyed their enemies, and then set up the kingdom of God, what you and I would call the millennial reign. See, that's what they were thinking. So when Jesus is speaking about an impending destruction upon Jerusalem, that not one stone will be left upon another. They're thinking, this is what Zechariah was talking about. The destruction of, of the city, the destruction of the temple, and certainly um, the Lord saving us, rescuing us, delivering us, and then squashing our enemies and then ushering in the kingdom. That's their mindset. So they weren't wrong to be thinking that it was sometime when he starts talking like that, they're thinking it's coming really soon. But they didn't understand that there was a huge gap in between. And that gap is the church age. And we are in that place right now. So the two questions that the disciples asked were, when should the temple be destroyed? And we looked at Luke's gospel because Matthew doesn't answer that question, but Luke's gospel does. We looked at Luke 13, verses 34 and 35. Uh, Luke 19, 41 through 44. And this is just a recap of last week. And also Luke 21. Uh, verses 20 through 24. Could you bring that down just a little bit more too, David? Thank you. And then, what will be the sign of his coming and the end of the age? And we believe that, this is, again, the disciples thought that the destruction of Jerusalem 
And the coming of the Messiah was the end of the age. That's what they were thinking. We believe that. And, and so, and that did come to pass in 70 AD, just 37 years after Jesus spoke this and shared this with those four disciples, Matthew, Mark, I'm sorry, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew, as he shared that with them on the Mount of Olives. And, um, and what will be the sign of, uh, of his coming and, and the end of the age? And, and that's uh, something that um, the disciples were looking at. And if you remember, we began to look at verses 4 through 14. And we looked at two different views concerning the passage, uh, this passage, which is referring uh, to and, um, and where we might, uh, let me re- repeat that again. <laughs> um, we looked at the two different views concerning this passage, verses 4 through 14, and what this is referring to and where that might fit into Daniel's 70th week. We looked at that, and remember the two views were this inner advent uh, view, which is the, the time between Christ's first coming and the beginning of the tribulation. And if this view is correct, if it is, then verses 4 through 14, or even more specifically, verses 4 through 8, are describing general signs from Jesus' birth up until now and until the beginning of the Great Tribulation. And we can conclude that this is a possibility based on those specific signs that we see. We see some of those things have been for many, many, many years. So there's some general signs. So it's a possibility. Now, I'm going to be going through a lot here, and I would encourage you to listen to the recording again with your Bible and and just start marking things up, because I know we move kind of quickly, and there's a lot here. Um, So I would encourage you to, you know, certainly write notes, but maybe listen to it again. But the other view was the tribulation view, and that is the view that verses 4 through 14 occur during the first half of the tribulation. Remember that the tribulation period is seven years and it's, it's called a week in Daniel, uh, but a week of years. So there's, there's, there's seven years, and there's three and a half years, and another three and a half years. And that's how it's really divided. And, um, and so we believe that the verses 4 through 14 are the first half of that tribulation period. And we looked at that, and we'll be looking at it some more today. But why would we think this? Well... In verses 15 and 29, there are time markers that the Lord gives us, and I believe they are. I believe they're there. And, if, and um, verses 15 through 25 is certainly speaking of the midpoint of the tribulation until the return of Christ. Again, based on Daniel 9.27, and we talked about this last week, but we know that the, the Antichrist in verse 15, that's about the midpoint of this Uh, seven-week period. And then verses 29 through 31 are very clearly, if you just look at verse uh, 29, it says, and immediately after the tribulation of those days, then the Son of Man is coming, right, uh, to the earth. And that is clearly speaking of his second coming. So if this is correct, then it stands to reason that verses 1 through 14 are this first half of the tribulation. And if verses 4 through 14 are in the first half of the tribulation, then these characteristics should resemble or uh, we should see those characteristics uh, in the sealed judgments in the beginning of the tribulation period in the book of Revelation, specifically beginning in verse or chapter 6, where 
um, the tribulation begins. We should see a correlation then in verses 4 through 14 with the beginning of the tribulation in Revelation 6. And we looked at that, the similarities, and there's some striking similarities. There's no doubt about that. So I believe that verses um, 4 through 44 specifically outlines this 70th week of Daniel that we've already looked at and culminates in the return of Christ, also called, as we know, the second coming of Christ. So just to recap, verses 4 through 14, we can definitely see that in the first half of the tribulation, which begins around Revelation 6. Verses 15 through 25 can definitely be placed at the midpoint of the tribulation, around Revelation 13, somewhere in that area. And certainly in verses 29 through 44, they definitely terminate the end of the great tribulation period with the second coming of Christ. We see that very clearly in Revelation 19, beginning in verse 11. And we will um, look more at that as we go into the, this week and, and next week as well. So let's uh, look at verse 8. Look at verse 8. So last week we looked at the first seven verses about, you know, there will be many will come in, in Jesus' name saying he's the, that they're the Christ and will deceive many. They'll be, will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled for all these things. Now, you and I are not troubled about these things because if this is the beginning of the tribulation, and we believe it is biblically on many accounts, then we won't be here again. So we don't need to be concerned about this. But there are people that are going to be on the earth that will need to be concerned about this. And do you know that after the church is removed, there are going to be people who are going to be looking for answers. They're going to be picking up the Bible and remembering that Jesus freak that talked to them and told them about these things. And they're going to be going, well, maybe they're not so crazy after all. Let me go read. They, they told me to read Matthew 24. They told me to read Revelation. This is what's happening. And then they're going to read it and they're going to go, oh, my goodness. Everything that the Bible has said has come true, and it's happening, and I'm right in the middle of it. And they will have an opportunity, but the deception, do you understand? Don't wait to give your heart to Christ. Some people say, well, I'll just wait until when it really happens. You know, when the church is really removed and millions of people just vanish from the earth, then I'll come to Christ. Hey, listen, don't think that you've got the resolve and the heart to take it. And here's why. The Bible says that the deception is going to be so great it's going to be so believable, and let me tell you, it's going to be, you think things are crazy now. You think deception is rampant now. You wait until the church is removed, and then it's going to be a clown show. You are not going to know which way is up and what to believe. Was it really aliens that, that, that took these people off the earth? And certainly there's going to be somebody saying that. Well, we needed to progress in our humanity. And these people, these Christians were keeping us from our destiny. And now we're finally rid of them like a tick, like a dog with ticks. The ticks are gone. Now we can, now we can embrace the future. Everybody hold hands and sing Kumbaya, right? I like to teach the world to sing, right? They're going to do that. Finally rid of us. Oh, thank God. They're going to be so glad to be rid of us. And the deception is going to be so great. Don't think that you're going to have the guts to withstand it. Better to receive Christ now in the age of grace than when the church is removed and the deception really hits the fan. Are you going to play that game? Are you going to play that card? I haven't and I won't. 
Because it's not so much me just getting a ticket off of this planet. I love Jesus. I want to see him. Yes, I do want to escape. And especially because I live in New York. (laughs) Escape from New York. Yeah, some of you saw the movie back in the 70s or 80s. But you know what? Yes, but you know what's more important to me than escaping the wrath that is coming? I want to see Jesus. I want to be done with this this mortal body filled with sin and and all this stuff. I don't don't want to deal with this anymore. Anybody anybody excited about living in this body of death, as Paul called it? You know, I'm looking forward. Yes, he's given us the spirit of God in us. Great, you know, we're born again. There is joy. But we're in enemy territory. Do you understand? I'm looking forward to when I'm not in enemy territory anymore. And I want to see him face to face. The one who saved my soul from eternal damnation. I'm going to see him face to face. And you are too. And what a joyful day that will be. The tears will never cease to flow. In joy. And thanksgiving. Amen. Amen. But notice it says... Verse 8, all these are the beginning of sorrows. Literally, sorrows uh, literally means um, uh, birth pangs. That's literally what it means. It's birth pangs. And this is the first time in the New Testament that this Greek word is used. It's a word, Odin. It's a Greek word called Odin. And it literally means uh, calamity, birth pangs, travail, intolerable anguish. And then other than in verse 8 here, this Greek word is used only three other times in the New Testament in Mark's Gospel chapter 3, which is the parallel account of what we're reading now. Um, In Acts 2.24, during Peter's sermon, on the day of Pentecost, when he was speaking about God raising Jesus up after his death and having loosed the pains of death. Yes, loose the pains, there it is. Loose the birth pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. And then finally, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 5 verse 3, when Paul speaks of the pain and anguish that befalls those in the tribulation period, speaking of a time yet future, even in his day. For he says, for when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains. And there's the word again, the same exact word, labor pains upon a pregnant woman. And they shall not escape. And this is the same chapter, hallelujah, that we read that in this, just a few verses later, Paul says, for God did not appoint us. Speaking to the church at Thessalonica, God has not appointed us to wrath but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the 70 weeks of Daniel, that seven-week period of the tribulation, is God's wrath. Are you going to face God's wrath? If you're a Christian, you will not. If you're not a Christian, you may, unless you change. Isn't it great that God gives us decisions to make? And, you know, it's funny how flippantly we throw away decisions. You know, we make decisions about what we're going to eat. Well, I'm going to have this to drink instead of that to drink. You know, I'm going to have water instead of milk. You know, we have this freedom to make decisions. And I would encourage you not to be flippant with this decision about where you will spend eternity. Because this is no joke, folks. You're talking about an eternity. It will never end. And you will either spend it in heaven with Jesus Christ or you will spend it in hell separated from him for eternity where the worm dies not and the fire is not quenched. Yes, it's ugly. And yes, God is a God of love. But yes, God is a God of wrath. He came the first time as the loving Savior, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But when he comes back in his second coming, there's not going to be any Lamb of God. You know, There's going to be a, a fear 
fierce king, a lion, coming to exact vengeance upon it on the earth. He came in love. He's coming back in wrath. And I don't know about you, but I love the duality of God. He's an incredible, he loves, he is love, the Bible says. But he won't violate your conscience in the sense of make you do something. No, you have a choice to make. And you have a choice to make today if you haven't received Christ. Because all of these things ought to be horrifying to you if you're not a believer in Jesus. But understand this. He tells us in advance. Why? So that we're frightened and scared? No, as a believer, I'm very comforted by this. Number one, I'm not going to go through it. And hopefully neither none of you. But... It's comforting to me to know that he's a God of justice. Is anybody confused today? Because we're not seeing justice. Anybody seeing justice in America? Honestly. Regardless of what party you belong to, I'm not going to get into that. We can all agree there's, there's very little justice happening right now. Very little. But I long for justice. I love the love of God. I love the grace of God. And I also understand that God is a God of wrath as well. And which side are you going to be on? Which side are you going to be on? And so he's, it, it, it seems that verse 8, all these are the beginning of sorrows, is speaking exactly of what Jeremiah, the prophet, by the Spirit of the Lord was referring to when he spoke of a yet future time period. And it says, for we have heard, and this is Jeremiah 30, verse 5, we have heard a voice of trembling, of fear, and not of peace. Ask now and see whether a man is ever in labor. And this word labor is is a similar Hebrew word, what we found in Matthew 24, verse 8, where it says sorrow. It's a very similar word. And he goes, ask now and see whether a man is ever in labor with, with child. So why do I see every man with his hands on his loins like a woman in labor and all faces turn pale? Alas, for that day is great. So that none, shall, that none is like it. it. It is the time of Jacob's trouble, but he, speaking of Israel, will be saved out of it. If verses 4 through 7 are considered birth pangs in the first half of the tribulation, then what are we experiencing right now before the rapture of the church? I said this before, but I'll say it again. I, I, I kind of see what we're going through as like the Braxton Hicks contractions. They're false contractions it's like the prelude before the actual labor I I believe we're living in that time right now it's my opinion and I believe it's right I believe we are going through those kinds of things because the events that we are seeing right now are preparing us for what is coming and it's preparing the world for what is coming things that the Lord has been showing and warning us for hundreds of years and how are we to respond to this How are we to respond to this information that the Lord gives us? It's very simple. We're to continue to be about our Father's business. He gave us the Great Commission when he left. Those marching orders really haven't changed. We're to go out into all the world to make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I'll be with you even to the end of the age. The end of the age is coming, folks. We're to to continue to do that, walking in purity, walking in holiness, and preaching, sharing, warning others of the wrath to come, and pleading with people to come to Christ that they might escape the terrors that are coming upon the earth, and then to enjoy everlasting life. See, that's what we're to be about. 
And what does the Bible say concerning us uh, who believe in the rapture? Uh, because we, um, what does the Bible say concerning us who believe that the rapture is imminent? It tells us. It says, everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he, Jesus, is pure. We can't purify ourselves, but we're purified in the Lamb. But are you in the Lamb? Are you in Christ? So verses 9 through 14 can be considered more specific signs in this first three and a half year period. And although we can certainly see some of these signs, even in our day, like lawlessness and false prophets, it's going to increase in greater frequency and intensity, especially after the rapture and as the first, tribulation, first half of the tribulation carries on. So we're going to be raptured first, and then the tribulation occurs. Notice in verse 9, then Jesus says, they will deliver you up to tribulation. Is he talking to uh, the church at this point when he says you? No, he's speaking to the Jews. Remember, this is a very Jewish book. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Is that happening right now? It's called anti-Semitism. You'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. The Jews are hated today, and they shouldn't be. And yet the world is like, oh, we hate racism, you know, racism and all that stuff. It's like, yeah, well, why don't you look at that? All racism is bad. I don't care if you're, who you're coming after. It doesn't matter. It's racism. And yet, the world is all big on racism, but they do nothing about that. Even the, the, the Ivy League schools of the country are all in on this. Only when they get caught do they, you know, oops, we exposed our, our real intentions. Yes, it did. Hypocrites. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. This word tribulation is the Greek word uh, philipsis, and um, it means anguish. It means oppression. And it seems very probable, again, that verse 4 through 14 are all within this first three and a half years. You can see it in blue up on the screen here. But um, another interesting thing to consider is, is that when you get to verse 21, look at verse 21. I, I would underline this, this verse here in uh, verse 9 where it says tribulation. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation. Look over in verse 21 because Jesus says, for then there will be great tribulation. Speaking of this, the beginning you know, we've already looked at, I believe, um, as we have already looked at, I believe verse 21 is within the section of the chapter. It refers to now the second half of this tribulation period when Jesus says, and now there'll be great tribulation because uh, the second half of the tribulation period is going to get really, really bad. So in verse 10, it says, and then, Many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. And then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. So during the time of the tribulation, there'll be an increase in false prophets and deceivers. We're seeing that already, but it's really going to ramp up after the church is um, removed. And so we think it's bad now. I, I really can't imagine it, honestly. Because at some point, even the unsaved person has to stand back and say, something is really wrong here. <laughs> I don't know, maybe it is spiritually discerned. 
Maybe everything we're seeing right now, and, and of course we got the Bible as our guide and showing us these things, and, but I wonder what the believer thinks. They must be scared out of their minds. Or maybe they just don't care at all. Maybe they think it's all going to, you know, we're going to have a utopia here on the earth. The only utopia on earth is going to be the millennial reign of Christ. And there's still going to be skirmishes. But Jesus will rule and reign, what? With a rod of iron. And we will be employed, all of us. I have no idea. Maybe I'll be a security guard somewhere. Verse 12, And because lawlessness will abound, the love, or the agape, there's an interesting word, of many will grow cold. This time period will be so wicked that many of those who have any love in their hearts at all, it's going to grow cold and indifferent. Not everybody, but some, it will grow cold and indifferent. And lawlessness, doesn't it? It has a way of gnawing on you and causing you to give up and cease to care about what happens. We're seeing this in the days that we are living in now. And you may not believe this, but the world is being conditioned by what is happening. It's psychological warfare. Do you understand that? It's psychological warfare. And if our country doesn't return to common sense and the rule of law, we will see an even greater increase in mental disorders, suicides, crime, hopelessness among the unsaved and even in the church. And it's already beginning to happen, but it's going to get a lot worse. And see, that's why Jesus says, abide in me. We need to abide in Jesus. The more I abide in him, the greater peace I have in a world that's falling apart. The world is falling apart. And it makes no sense. There's very little justice. And these things, I believe, are supposed to be. And we should speak when we can, vote. We should do these things. But understand something. You do all those things, and you pray, and the rest of it is up to God. And you don't need to worry, because it is going to get crazy. And I don't know how long we're going to be on this earth before the Lord takes us. And you know what? The first century church went through persecution. We may, we're, we're seeing that now. We're seeing an increase in vandalism around the, the property now. There's been an uptick in that, a, a visible uptick. And it's going to continue. But we don't need to be fearful. Don't be fearful. The Lord says, fear not. I'm coming for you. Remember, Peter was like, in John 4, he was all upset. Lord, you're going to leave us. What are we going to do? Let not your heart be troubled. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come and receive you, that where I am, you may also be. Isn't that the rapture? He's speaking to them. We don't need to worry. Yes. He's speaking to the church at that point. That's a, that's a church verse. He's coming for us. Verse 14, in the gospel of the kingdom, um, I'm sorry, uh, verse 13, 
but he who endures to the end shall be saved. The Greek word here is sozo, and it does not mean salvation in the spiritual sense, but literally it means being delivered physically from destruction and danger. So those who are going through this tribulation, they are going to be delivered, and some will be saved, but it's really speaking here about a physical deliverance. And then in verse 14 it says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. Now, there's an interesting doctrine that has been floating around in the church for many years, and it's called, it's a warped theology, a warped theology, and it's called Kingdom Now Theology. And I believe that's the name. Um, but what it really means is, is it, it, the, the, the idea behind it is that, the, that great Christ, Jesus can't come back to the earth until the church goes out and evangelizes the whole world, right? Because if you look at this verse, and the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Some have taken this and ran with it and says, well, we've got to do our thing, otherwise Christ can't return. And that's not true. Now, is it true that we should be evangelizing? Yes. The, the Matthew 28, verse 18, 19, tells us that that's the Great Commission. That's what we should be doing anyway, right? But is that the determination? No, it's not, because the church is removed. And then what really starts Daniel's 70th week? It's not the, um, it's the Antichrist or whoever he is going to be. He's going to make a treaty with Israel. That's going to start the clock ticking, folks. Do you understand? The church won't even be here. So whatever remains unsaved, the Lord's taken us. He's not waiting for us to get out there. and do, We should be doing that. Don't get me wrong. Don't misunderstand me. Evangelize the world. But that's not going to bring Christ any quicker. He has got a plan, and he's told us in advance what it is. And we're going to be removed before the 70th week begins to tick off. And the thing that starts that is this treaty with the Antichrist. It tells us in Daniel 9.27, doesn't it? That's going to be where it is. And then the Bible tells us that seven years from then, roughly at the end of that is when Christ returns physically to the earth. They won't know the exact day or the exact hour, but it's going to be in a general frame, a general time. The believers during that time are going to be looking up. And that's what he told them to be looking up for your redemption draws nigh. And it will come. Now, the next time marker in the tribulation is in verse 15. Notice in verse 15. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, spoken of, notice, underline Daniel the prophet. And very important, and underline in the holy place. Because these are clues uh, to what is going to be. The word therefore is supposed is used here, excuse me, so that we will look to what happened prior to this to see why the word therefore is therefore. Right? So, as a result of all that we've talked about in this first half of the tribulation, those things, therefore, after those things have come to pass, as a result, when you see the abomination of desolation, notice it has to be the one spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place. So who is this abomination of desolation that Jesus is referring to? Well, there is actually... Uh, it seems that in history that there's actually two abominations of desolation. And you may be gasping, thinking, oh, what are you talking about? Well, one has already passed. 
There's already been one abomination of desolation. He's already come on the world scene and he's passed away. And another one waits in the shadows in the near future. The first one is recorded in Daniel 9, excuse me, Daniel 11, verse 31. And let me read it to you. Um, uh, verses 29 through 35. And again, Daniel in this passage is speaking specifically of a man back in the first, uh, in the second century, uh, and his name was Antiochus IV Epiphanes. Antiochus IV Epiphanes. And, he's, and he, he, he helps us understand. In verse 29, it says, At the appointed time, he shall return and go toward the, the south, speaking of this Antiochus Epiphanes. But it shall not be like the former or the latter, for ships from Cyprus shall come against him. Therefore he shall be grieved and return in rage against the holy covenant and do damage. So he shall return and show regard for those and show regard for those who forsake the holy covenant, and forces shall be mustered by him, and they shall defile, notice, the sanctuary fortress. Then they shall take away the daily sacrifices and place there the abomination of desolation. Those who do wickedly against the covenant, he shall corrupt with flattery. But the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. And those of the people who understand shall instruct many. Yet for many days they shall fall by the sword and flame by captivity and plundering. Now when they fall, they shall be aided with a little help. But many shall join them by intrigue. And some of those of understanding shall fall to refine them, purify them, and make them white until the time of the end, because it is still for the appointed time. So Daniel is speaking of a man in history that has already passed from the scene. He is uh, Antiochus, I said. He was a Syrian king who captured Jerusalem in the second century BC. And if you remember, after Alexander the Great died, we believe that his kingdom was broken up. And it was as a result of that, there were four of those different generals, we believe, from uh, Alexander's uh, top echelon or whatever, that began these different, um, at, later on, they began these um, um, campaigns, and Antiochus was one of them. And it's recorded in history, and this is history already, you can look it up, right around 167, somewhere between 167 and 169 BC, Antiochus did exactly that. He forbade the Jews to offer sacrifices in the temple. And then, to make things worse, he offered a pig on their altar, desecrating because a, a pig was an unclean animal, right? That's why I got the little piggy over there. Amir would love this because I'm calling Antiochus Epiphanes a pig. He would, he would really rejoice in that. But not only did he do that, he sacrificed a pig on their altar, and then he placed an image of the Greek god Zeus in the Holy of Holies. History, that's already, been hap that's already happened. So who is this second abomination of desolation that Jesus, notice, I, I, it's important that you understand the chronology here. Do you, do you understand? This happened in 167, 169 BC. Now fast forward nearly 200 years. And now Jesus says there's another abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. And he's speaking of the one in Daniel 9.27 that is yet to come. Does that make sense? Otherwise, he would have said, this guy already did this. It's past, it's, you know, past news. He wouldn't be telling of something that was coming yet future 
when it's clear in history that uh, something similar did happen back in 169 BC with Antiochus. But now there's a second, and this is the summation of it all. And Jesus, speaking in 33 AD, now prophesies of this other abomination of desolation that's coming yet in the future. And remember Daniel 9.27, Then he, this Antichrist, this beast, this prince who is to come, he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week, or literally one week of years. But in the middle of the week, and you saw the diagrams, in the middle of the week, right there in the middle of the week, He's going to bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall make who makes desolate even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. He is going to be destroyed at some point. So this abomination of desolation is none other than the prince who is to come that Daniel 9.26 told us about. He's referred, this man of sin, this antichrist, is referred to by many titles in the Bible. The little horn, the coming prince, the willful king, the man of lawlessness, the son of destruction, the antichrist, the rider of the white horse, the beast in Revelation. And even Paul the Apostle tells us about this man of sin and what he is going to do yet in the future. And honestly, it's wonderful because it all lines up with what Jesus is saying because the Holy Spirit inspired Paul and the Old Testament prophets, writing these things in advance. And now Paul is saying, yes, he's coming yet. This Antichrist, this one. In fact, 2 Thessalonians tells us, Paul speaking to them, he says, Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day, speaking of the second coming of Christ, will not come unless the falling away comes first, or arguably a departure. It could be speaking of the rapture. It could be. But either way, this is a rapture verse. Unless the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who ex- opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits, notice what God gave to Paul, so that he, this abomination that's coming yet, he will sit in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. And Paul is saying he's coming. But there's some things that have to happen first. The church has to be taken out. He says that in 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 3 and 4. You can read it in context, but it's, we have to be removed before he's revealed. Revelation 13, verses 4 through 6, what does it tell us about this Antichrist? It says that in that day, yet future, they worship the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worship the beast, saying, who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And he was given a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for 42 months. That's the second half of this tribulation period. 42 months is three and a half years. Right? It's right there. He was given authority to continue 42 months, and then he opened his mouth in blasphemy. Notice, I love this, against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. Do, do you see that? During the tribulation period, the Antichrist is going to curse God. The temple, or the, you know, he's going to curse the tabernacle and those who dwell in heaven. Who are those who dwell in heaven? All of us. Because we'll be raptured before this. He's going to curse us. I don't care if he curses us. 
I'll just stand in the shadow of my king. Amen. I'll let the Lord deal with them. He knows what to do with them. And he will do something with them. And it's coming. And he's a defeated foe, folks. Don't you worry about the devil. <laughs> and then in verse uh, 14 of Revelation 13 also, and it says, it, this is uh, the, uh, speaking of the Antichrist evil sidekick called the false prophet. You've heard of that? There's the, there's the beast from the earth and there's the beast of the land. The beast of the earth is the Antichrist, the beast of the land. And the last part of Revelation 13 is speaking of the false prophet. And notice what it says. This false prophet deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs which he was granted to do in the sight of the beast, meaning the Antichrist, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived an assassination attempt, no doubt. He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. And he causes all, all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. Can you see the foreshadowings of this kind of control happening in our country right now? With the, um, what is it, the CBDC or whatever, the, 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 um, um, the, the digital bank and all that, the central bank digital currency whole thing? What is that really all about? Is it about just... A really good thing for humanity? No, it's good for a certain few who want to control you. And if they can do that, if they can pull this off, folks, you're going to be in line with your credit card. My brothers who are Second Amendment sympathizers, there may come a day, if this goes through, that you'll be standing at Sportsman's Warehouse trying to buy shotgun shells or, or ammunition to go target shooting, and because it's bullets, your credit card will be denied. Can you see it coming? It's coming. It's coming. Globalism. It has to be. It doesn't mean that we roll down and lay over, lay over and die. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to fight it until the Lord takes me. That's my, and, and maybe I'm fighting against the will of God. I'm not going to have that argument with you. You can do what you want. But I'm going to resist evil until the Lord takes me out. In a, in a godly way. Do you follow me? I'm not, I'm not going to, you know, freak out, and, but I'm going to resist it because I know where it's going. And do you? I don't know. Do you believe that? You don't have to answer. Just a hypothetical or, uh, you know. Therefore, when you see the abomination spoken by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, I had you underline holy place because a holy place is something specific in a specific temple. There's only a holy place in a Jewish temple. There's the holy of holies, or there's the holy place, and then the holy of holies. And this Antichrist is going to set up an image, probably some kind of AI image. We're already there. We've got all the technology to do that right now. They're doing it in India. They've got a, a temple where they got this thing that they're worshiping, and it, it's filled with AI, and, and, and people worship it. To me, that's just a, a foreshadowing of what's really coming. I got a video on it. I actually, when we were going through Revelation, I showed it to you. 
But no, it's going on here. Therefore, when you see and notice, whoever lets him read, whoever reads, let him understand. And with this phrase, whoever reads, let him understand, understand that this is a way of Jesus tipping us off, or the writer of, the, of, of you know, Matthew tipping us off that this is not something that will be experienced by the Jews in the day that Jesus said this, but in context of the end which Daniel the prophet spoke of in, in 927. Do you follow? So Jesus wasn't speaking of, of that moment. It's going to happen yet future. And then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. We believe, based on the scriptures, that when the Antichrist reveals himself by these signs, that the Jews now are, at that time, they're going to be exhorted to flee as quickly as possible. And it goes on in verse 17. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. So quick they are to leave and to not stop at anything. And we believe that it is at this time that the Jewish remnant who are hunted by the Antichrist they're going to flee to the rock city of Petra in biblical Edom. And we can see a picture of where this is. Here is the Dead Sea right here. It's kind of uh, in, in the south. And then right to the southeast of that is the land of Edom. And Basra is where Petra is. Has anybody been to Petra here? You know. It's impregnable. It's it's amazing because you have to go through these very narrow caverns and it's a very formidable fortress for somebody one day. And we believe, based on the scripture, that it is going to be these Jewish people that are going to be fleeing at this time. And why do I believe that? Well, Isaiah 63 tells us. Notice what it says in Isaiah 63 verse 1. Who is this who comes from Edom? It's a prophecy of Jesus when he comes back in his second coming. That when he comes back, he's going to rescue and deliver the Jews and Edom. He's going to deliver them from the Antichrist's assault on them when they're going to be hiding out in Petra. Who is this who comes from Edom with dyed garments from Basra, the one who is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength? I who speak in righteousness, mighty to save. That who, that's who it is. It's Jesus. And then the question is asked, why is your apparel red and your garments like one who treads in the winepress? And he answers, I have trodden the winepress alone and from the peoples no one was with me for I have trodden them in my anger and trampled them in my fury. Their blood is sprinkled upon my garments and I have stained all my robes for the day of vengeance is in my heart and the year of my redeemed has come. Jesus is going to return to Petra, to Basra, and he is going to deliver the Jews who are going to be hunted by the Antichrist. In Micah chapter 2 verse 12, this is really interesting. It says, I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob, I will surely gather the remnant of Israel. I will put them together like sheep of the fold. And the word fold there? Or, or, let me finish it. Like a flock in the midst of their pasture, they shall make a loud noise because of so many people. And the word for when he says, I will put them together like sheep of the fold. The word fold in the Hebrew, guess what, it, what the original Hebrew means? What the word is? It's Basra. The, the, the little sheepfold of Israel that are hiding in Petra, we believe. The very place means the fold, or the, what Jesus said here and inspired Micah to write. Pretty interesting, isn't it? The actual Hebrew means of the word fold 
in Micah 2.12 literally means Basra. What about Daniel 11? Daniel in chapter 11 in, in verse 40 and 41, it's speaking of the Antichrist now. Now, one thing when you're reading Daniel, there is a section of it that is speaking of Antiochus Epiphanes. And then Daniel shifts and speaks about this Antichrist who is yet to come, this second abomination of desolation. And in verse 40 of Daniel 11, it says, And at that time the king of the south shall attack him. And the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind with chariots, horsemen, with many ships. And he shall enter the countries, overwhelm them, pass through. And he shall also enter the glorious land, which is obviously Israel. And make many countries shall be overthrown. But these shall escape from his hand. Speaking of the Jews, these shall escape from his hand, Edom and Moab and the prominent people of Ammon. For some reason, God is going to put them in the, the Jews in Edom, and that's going to be for some reason, we don't know why this is, but at that time, there's going to be some problem where he's not going to be able to get to them. And God knows this, and that's why in advance he can tell us, this is where I'm going to hide my fold away, my sheepfold from the spoiler. And then in Revelation, this is around the midpoint of the tribulation in the book of Revelation. I have to read this because... When you read Revelation 12, you're going to see it's sort of like uh, um, there's a lot of history in this chapter. It's basically a summary, if you will. It's called a parenthetical chapter, but it's a summary from the very beginning when, when Israel gave birth to Christ through Mary all the way until the end when they're delivered by the Antichrist. But let me just read to you verses 1 through 6 and then verses 13 through 14. Based on what we just read here, it's really astounding. Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. This is Israel, the, the woman, that is. And then being with child, she cried out in labor and pain to give birth. And obviously this is speaking of the Messiah about ready to be born. And again, it's, it's history. It's kind of like a summary. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns, seven diadems on his head. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to do what to devour her child as soon as it was born and what did Herod the great do when he found out that Jesus was born he went to kill him and he had all the infants killed remember and Ramah that were under two years of age that was the devil and here it tells us that that's exactly what was happening. And she, this woman, Israel, she bore a child and, and, and who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. Does that sound like uh, Psalm 2 to you and Revelation? Certainly it's Jesus. And her child was caught up to God in his throne. He was resurrected, crucified, resurrected, raised to heaven. That, and then it says, Then the woman fled, the Israel, fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God. And they should feed her there 1,260 days. What is 1,260 days? It's 42 months. It's three and a half years. So in the midpoint of all of that, they're going to flee. When the Antichrist is revealed, they're going to flee to Petra, and they will be provided for by God miraculously for three and a half years. And then in verse 13, it says, Now when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth. He persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child, but the woman was given two wings of a great eagle. Notice. 
That, that, and, and this just speaks of God's sovereign power, okay? Some people try to make it, you know, the United States and somebody else, but that's just conjecture. She would fly into the wilderness at, to her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the present of the serpent. A time is one year, times is two years, a half a time is a half a year. So now we have, again, in another way, three and a half years. But woe to those, verse 19, who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. Uh, Let me see how far we are because we're running out of time here. Uh, Yeah, we're going to stop at verse 20. We're going to have to stop there. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. Jesus said this because... And he says, and pray that your flight be, may not be in the winter or on the Sabbath. And why is that? Well, if you're, if you're doing it on the Sabbath, Jews honor the Sabbath. All public transportation kind of shuts down. Everything is kind of at a still on, on the Sabbath, right? And if it's in winter, it's hard to move. It's hard to go from Jerusalem to Petra. And if you're a woman who has a child, nursing or afterwards, it's more difficult, isn't it, to travel with a child? And I love when Jesus says, the the Jews at that time, they should pray that this all would happen, not on one of those days. So if I was a Jewish person and the the rapture of the church has happened, I'd be praying right then, Lord, first off, I want to get saved, but I also want to pray that when that time of fleeing happens, that it's not in the winter, that it's not on the Sabbath. <laughs> right? Now we're going to have to, um, we're going to have to stop there because we'll get into uh, verse 21, which is definitely, we, so we've already looked at the first half. We've looked at the midpoint where this abomination of desolation sets up his image in the temple in a a future temple and now as we get into verse 21 we're really very deeply into the next three and a half year period before Christ comes in verse 29 and so we have in Matthew 24 here like I said a road map I believe of the entire tribulation period The beginning, the midpoint, what happens after that, and then the summation of it when Christ comes. It's all, I think, clearly laid out here. And it makes sense with the rest of the Bible. It's really wonderful. So we're going to have to stop there. And thank you for your patience. Uh, You know, but I want to encourage you just finally. You know, all of this is good. I mean, this is knowledge, right? But knowledge, if we just have knowledge, Paul told us that knowledge puffs up, right? I can have a lot of knowledge, but I, I want to encourage you, even though this section of scripture, we, we need to deal with this, <laughs> okay? I, I don't want to just gloss over this. This is, this is like the holy of holies of the Bible, one of them anyway, and this is incredibly important, but if we just fill our head with knowledge, We can become Pharisees. We can become Pharisees. But I think the intention of these things is that it would do something to our heart. 
even as Christians, because see, as a Christian, I can get all haughty and high-minded and say, well, I'm not going to be here. I could care less. You guys deserve it. You know, I mean, people get that attitude and I would encourage you not to foster and not to uh, encourage that kind of heart because it's not the heart of God. So I, knowing what's coming and I believe it, do you believe it? I believe it with all of my being. And, and, and not only because I believe it, but it's written for me. It, it, it makes sense. And if I believe it, it ought to, something should be changing in me. I should have a little more compassion on the world that's lost. I shouldn't be going, well, you're going to get yours, pal. You know, If that's my attitude, I don't know Christ. I mean, I may be saved, but my heart is cold. And, and we're already fulfilling that scripture, right? The, because lawlessness will abound, and by, by the way, it is right now, the love of many, we're already seeing that happening. Even in the church, folks, the church ought to be the most loving entity in all of the earth. We ought to be the ones to love people that are just horrible. <laughs> people are just nasty. We ought to be loving on them. I mean, you don't get take advantage in, in all that. You know, you don't just bend over backwards and you know, do stupid things to have them take advantage of you. No, but you, you're as gentle as a dove, but wise as a serpent. Right? And that means loving people. God, would you please fill this me and our fellowship, the church here and in America, fill us with your love again. That we're not angry and bitter and just, you know, just pulling out swords and guns and shooting people and, 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 and getting all caught up and getting nasty on, on you know, social media. We got to put all of that aside right now. We got to put it aside. Because the heart of God is not so. The heart of God is for the lost. And do you know that the Lord wants you to walk in purity? He wants me to walk in holiness. I'm not a perfect person. He knows that. You all know that. I know you're not perfect either. But guess what? We ought to be walking as close to him as possible and saying, Lord, I want to walk close to you. I want to surrender all of the stuff in my life. And I want to get serious with you. Because as I look at this stuff, I'm thinking the time is really, really short. Prior to 2019, I thought it could be years away. But now after what's happened in the last three years, I'm like, oh my goodness. We are in the Braxton Hicks contractions before the church is removed. And so we gotta, we got to love people. Will you ask, will you pray to God? In fact, let's stand together. And if you're like me, I'll be honest with you, I'm just going to be transparent. I, I need to be that way. And I, I like to be that way because it's really who I am. My heart is not always soft. I get angry. Does anybody here get angry? <laughs> I mean, be honest. I mean, it's okay. Maybe you're more spiritual than I am, and that's very possible because I don't really, whatever. But the thing is, is I get angry. I get frustrated. And I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with that except if I stay in that pool too long, it will ruin me. It'll ruin me and it'll make my, um, my witness to the people that I love, my own family, the church, everybody around me, it'll lessen my light in the world when I allow hate and frustration to just get so festered in me. And it's a funny thing. It really is because it's very easy today to let your heart get hard. 
It's very easy to let your heart get hard, and we've got to be praying daily. Say, Lord, please, keep me away from the stuff that's going to make my heart harder and help me soften my heart, Lord. Soften it. It's okay to be frustrated, but leave it at the cross. Get on your knees and leave it there, and I'm learning this. I, I, I haven't learned it, past tense. I'm learning it. And I think it's getting better, but I'm learning it. And I would encourage you to join me in learning that as well. Amen? Amen. Father, we just thank you for your grace and your mercy. Please do all of this in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you.